How do you know that if you go over there and talk to them, they're not going to just steal your ideas and, pardon the phrase, they're going to screw you. They're going to get the better part of the deal. My belief is that if you trust yourself first and you can be honest with the other party, that's where it starts. Welcome to Upon Arrival, a show that uncovers stories and strategies that make up all the moving parts of business events tourism with me, Adelaine Ung. Here's a question for you. What is your view of marketplace competition? You might say, competition is good. It makes us all push for better standards. It makes us dig deep as entrepreneurs. The clients win and the industry is the better for it. That's easy to say when you're not feeling threatened by competition. But like it or not, there may be times when you find yourself in a position where you have to consider working with a competitor. The darkest times during COVID forced more than a few of us to collaborate with others we wouldn't otherwise be working with. Mark Goldman, who's a mediator, psychodrama therapist and author, joins us again for part two of our conversation. Mark Goldman, welcome back. Nice to be back. Good to see you, Adeline. <laughs> well, we talked about conflict resolution the last time. In this episode, we're taking things up a notch and talking about working with a competitor. Now, this is something a number of businesses thought of doing during COVID because there were less resources available and work was changing as well. Clients' needs were, were changing. So it was all a whole new world. And it's a world where you see, you know, it's like a bit of a minefield, <laughs> which direction to take. Yeah. And you're not sure if a decision is going to blow up in your face or <laughs> whether it's going to be a good move. So... Tell me about your experience in this. Is there actually a time when working with a competitor is a good idea? Well, the answer is yes. And to try and figure out what that time is, I'm not sure. There are a lot of different factors. But I think here's the key. When you have a competitor and you are looking at them as your competitor... That's what your focus is. Your focus is always, how can I one-up them? How can I do better advertising, better marketing? How can I grab that customer? How can I provide a better service? But your focus is always the competitor, the other guy, the other person, the other company. And I think in order to work with a competitor, you have to shift your focus to the customer and what the customer's needs are. Whether you actually have a real customer or you're just looking into the moment, in this moment of COVID or into the future and saying, we're losing money. This company is struggling. But that company's struggling too. My competitor is also struggling. So what could both of us do together to help the client that magical client out there that could use both of our services in some way. How do I approach you and how do I set myself? Because I could walk into your place and go, well, I'm not going to reveal any secrets or I'm going to look to see what secrets they have, but I'm not <laughs> going to tell her any. Or I could say, I wonder what Adeline's company does that we could fuse our technologies, our understanding of each other and help each other in some way. I remember years and years ago when I was like 19, 
maybe 20 years old. So the seeds of this were there a long time ago. I was working, I was managing a men's clothing store in Chicago, Illinois, in uh, the Old Town section, kind of a funky, uh, hippie-type section of town. And about two blocks up the street, there was another men's clothing store. And we were in competition with each other. We had sometimes similar clothes, similar styles, but it was basically there was a men's clothing store and we were a men's clothing store. So we wanted to get more customers in our store. And sometimes we'd go down there and look at what they had. And sometimes we knew they had salespeople that came down and looked at what we had and what we were doing and how did we design our store. But I remember my boss was always saying, what do they do that we don't do? Or how can we be as good as they are or better than they are? And I had a customer come in who was a pretty good customer. And sometimes you have these customers that are good, you trust them, and when they come in, you know what they need. And this customer needed some pants and some shirts and a jacket. He wanted a bunch of stuff for his wardrobe, not just one shirt or one pair of pants. So yes, I took care of him, and I got some shirts that he liked and some pants, and he said, you know what? I need a really good tie to go with this shirt, but I don't like anything that you guys have. And I looked at the stuff and, you know, you do your, oh, what about this? What about that? And he didn't like anything. And I said, you know what? I saw a tie the other day and I think you'd like it. It's down at the other store. Come with me and take a look. And if you like it, I'll buy it and we'll charge you the same amount. Won't charge you anymore. Let's go down and take a look. And my boss was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, don't worry, things will be great. And we walked down the street together. I didn't send him alone. I went with him so I'd have a little bit of control. And we looked at the ties and I said, well, here's a couple. Here's one I saw the other day. And he said, that's great. Let's get that. So I paid for it, got the receipt, came back. We tried not to spend a lot of time there. But I said, okay, this will go great with that shirt, this and that. And we came back to my store settled everything up, charged him whatever it was for the tie, sent him on his way. So he knew that I had his interest at heart. Now, I went to the competitor, no big deal. They made a sale, but it was to my customer. He knows that I'm taking care of him. I found a tie that he loved. And He knows that I'm okay with him. He's going to go to another store in his lifetime, not just our store, but I went with him. So I bet the next time he wants something, he'll come to me and say, Mark, come with me to the other store. I want your advice on something. He's still our customer. Mm. And I think that's the thing is if you're focused on the customer, if I come to you, I could say, you know what, Adeline, we are both struggling in this era of covid and masks, and communication, and difficulty. What if we both combined forces? What is it that I do that you don't, that you might be able to utilize? And what is it that you do that I don't, but I might be able to utilize? How could we join forces, whether it's in marketing, advertising, supplies, do whatever we need to do to work together? I had a colleague at work who sat in the office next to me. 
we could talk to each other all the time. I did the tech stuff, computer, and the tech stuff, and she could not do that. I mean, I wrote code for the programs we were using. She did the organizing. She put stuff in bins and canisters, and then she'd go, here's what we need. It's right here. And I said to her one day, I said, Sherry, come over here, will you? I said, just stand behind me and let me talk you through what I do. And I went through the program that I was writing and programming with coding because it wasn't working right. And I said, just stand behind me and look at what I'm doing. And as I went through it, I wasn't expecting her to say, well, did you do that or did you do that? But the fact that she was there made me hyper aware of things I hadn't been aware of. And I saw the mistake that I had made. And I said, oh, my God, that's it right there. She never said a word. She just stood behind me. (laughs) You solved your own problem. But because I knew she was good at organization, then I knew that if I talked about organizing the code, that either I would find it or she would find the place, you know, but I was the one who found it. So that's really it, is focusing on the work, not so much how I'm going to be better than you or more than you, or competing with you. But is there also an aspect there where if you're up against a wall and you know that you're being in an environment where you know someone else is watching, like a competitor, and when they're in your space, but you've allowed them that space, you become better at your own job. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And quite often, everybody asks, how do you know they're not going to mess with you? How do you know that if you go over there and talk to them, they're not going to just steal your ideas and, pardon the phrase, they're going to screw you. Correct. They're going to get the better part of the deal. And my belief is that if you trust yourself first and you are honest with yourself and you can be honest with the other party and begin with a place of trust, that's where it starts. Now, I believe that if I come to you and say, you know what? I think we're both in the same place. Are you in the same place? Are you having difficulty with this and this and this? Now, you can defend yourself and say, no, we still have customers. We don't need that. And I say, well, if you do have them, good. But here's where we're lacking. And I think we could do this together. I think if you truly believe that, then at some point, you're going to know whether the other person is going to screw you or not. I think most of the time we can tell if we're negotiating, well, I'll do this and you do that, then at some point I'm going to say, well, wait a minute, that puts all the power in your side of the court. I don't have any resources. You seem to be getting the better part of that deal. But if I come to you with that first premise that I trust myself and I trust you, And I think if you trust me, we can do this together. So let's start talking about it. Let's start negotiating. And all of you, sudden you say, okay, we could do this. Let's take the parking spaces in front of our restaurants and let's turn them into outdoor dining. Let's put a fence around them, a little picket fence, and we'll put tables there. Okay, that's good. So let me take five spaces from you and we'll take two spaces from my restaurant. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why are we only taking two? Why are you taking up this but not that? Is there some way we could make this more even, more equitable? So in your negotiations for how you're going to proceed and go forward, 
I think you begin to see is the other person taking advantage? Are they going in in true negotiation style? Or are they trying to take advantage of you? And I think along the way, that's what you say. You know, I say, Adeline, I think we can do something together. And here's what I want to do. Whatever we do, if at any time you feel like you're being taken advantage of or it's not an equitable arrangement, tell me. Let me know. Sometimes I have a tendency to talk over you or bowl over or make assumptions. If I do that, you let me know because I think we all need to change a little bit. And I'm going to try and be aware of that. But if I'm not, you let me know, okay? Because we're in different times here. We got to work together to get customers for both of us. So I really love that. But have I got this right? What I'm hearing you say is that it is possible to have a working relationship with a competitor without the need of an objective mediator even to step in if needed, as long as we start from a place of mutual trust? Well, I would always advise an individual or a company or an individual who is in charge of an organization to understand what their assets are and what their needs are and also understand what their vulnerabilities are. If you think you're vulnerable in some ways, you have to cover your rear end, but you may not have to do it by being a bully or do you know what I'm saying? There are ways to be cautious without being overbearing. And there are also ways to share information and watch other organizations without even talking to each other. One of the things that I understand but don't understand is Southwest Airlines, one of my favorite airlines, and I knew several people who worked in management positions. Southwest Airlines has made a profit every year for 35 years, while other airlines out there are losing money. Now, wouldn't it behoove some of them to take a look at some of the practices that Southwest does and ask themselves, could we do that? Why are we losing money and they are making money? Now, people generally have a tendency to want to resist doing what someone else is doing. And changes happen. People always say, well, this isn't the way we used to do it. People hold on to that very dearly. But I just think it's incredible that somebody wouldn't look at this company and you don't have to go over and work for them, but all you have to do is say, what are they doing that they can make a profit? There must be something we could do to even get to the break-even point, even if we don't make a profit. But how do we stop losing money? So I think a good CEO is always looking to see what other people are doing in other companies to see what works. Part of it is talking to people. And this is the tough part because lawyers don't want you to talk to people. The woman who ran the people department or the HR department for Southwest Airlines moved over to Doubletree Hotels. And some of the employees in one hotel down in New Orleans were suing the company. And she said, well, I'm going to go down there and talk to them. And the lawyers said, well, you can't do that. You, you know, it's an active lawsuit. You can't discuss anything with them. It's like they gave her all these legal reasons why she couldn't do it. And she said, that's stupid. 
<laughs> and she said, because what I want to understand is what do they want underneath? Not just they're asking for $8 million or whatever. And she went down there and she got them in the room and she said, tell me what's happening here. What is it that you want? And they told her they wanted training. They wanted equity. They wanted the ability to move up in positions that they weren't moving up in. And many of these were people of color, and this was in the South. So there were a whole bunch of things. They weren't demands. Now, none of them were unreasonable things that they wanted. And well, she said, well, if I can get you those things, are you willing to drop the lawsuit? And they said, yeah, we just want to be able to get training. We want to be able to move up. We want to be able to do this. She went back and she said, this is what they want. And they made the deal. And instead of costing them 20 million, it cost them about two or three million to implement the things that they needed to do. And they got better employees and they got better trained and things were like this instead of the news is there at loggerheads, you know? Yeah. And that was because she wanted to talk to them and get the answer to the question, what is it that is lacking? What do you want? Yeah. That's an inspirational story. I'm not sure if we've gone back into discussing conflict resolution. You talked about the lawyer piece. And I'm just wondering, though, sometimes when you enter into some sort of partnership with someone who would otherwise be a rival or was a competitor in the past, do you need some written work, some stuff in writing <laughs> so that everybody knows if there's any disagreement, you always go back to the paper? Yeah, well, in this day and age, this is the age of litigation. <laughs> it is. Unfortunately, unfortunately. My uncle, my mother's brother, grew up here in Arizona, and he became a huge success. He was in advertising, and he had billboards, and he had a company that did advertising and commercials. And then he owned a television station here in Phoenix and four radio stations, and he owned all this stuff. And what people used to say about him is, you could trust Carl. Carl had integrity. In fact, he wrote a book, and the book's title was, All You Have Is Integrity. And every single person that I have ever talked to who knew him said, all you had to do was shake his hand and the deal was done. And yes, of course, he then probably had some lawyers drop some papers, but it was minimal. It was the shaking of that hand. Here's what I'm willing to do. That's what extending your hand is. It's not just, are you going to shake my hand? It's, here's my hand first. I'm willing to put it in your care. You know, that's what a handshake was originally. It was a way to make sure that that person didn't have a weapon in their hand and was not going to hurt you with a weapon. That bare hands could clasp together and would be okay with each other. So if I put my hand out and you got a knife in your hand, you're not going to shake my hand. But that's what a handshake was originally. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Although in this particular age, it's probably an elbow rub. <laughs> yeah. Shake. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's for me, so much of it is about intent. As a competitor, if I come to you, what my intent is, if I want to partner with you, what is my intent when I come to you? If I'm a mediator and 
two parties come to me. I have to make them understand what my intent is. My intent is not to solve your problem. My intent is to find the strengths that each of you have to come together and solve your own problem. That's my intent. So I will never tell you what to do, but I will ask you what your strengths are and how can you each come together and work with each other and solve that problem. So for me, it's always about intent. Now, I think one always has to be careful. One has to be cautious. But if you're thinking about what the possibilities are, and I'd say, Adelaine, our two companies are different, and we are in competition for each other. We each want some of the market share. But what kind of a world would this be if we were always at each other's throats? What if we could do something together? And maybe there's a market share out there for both of us, because right now there's very little. So rather than us clawing at each other's throats, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that negative person, that one who's always looking at the other company and saying, why do they have more than we do? What could we do together? Could we both have a different outlook? What kind of a world would that be if you and I collaborated with each other? What would we be doing differently in our lives and in our families and in our work? if we had a way to collaborate with each other. And I think when you work on that premise, you become altogether a more attractive company to clients because that's the kind of company that they want to do business with as well. Absolutely. Everybody wins when you get your intent in the right place. So you've mentioned intent, mutual areas of benefit, maybe with a little bit of paperwork, that might be a, <laughs> a good thing. Is there anything else you think would be a key factor or a core piece of how you might work with someone that would have been considered a competitor and make this into a really good working relationship that benefits both companies? I always think finding out what the other person does and what their value proposition is and what they're good at. What can I borrow from you? Could I borrow something from you? Now, quite often processes are proprietary, but there are some things that you could share that we have to discuss those things, but sometimes they're things that are not proprietary that you just do to make things better. Maybe I've got a way to train your employees. I'm a good trainer. Maybe I can come in and train your employees in a different way than they've been trained. So maybe you give me your recipe for this or your process for this, and I come over and I bring my people over and we train your people in how to do this one section that we both have to do, and then we do that. So when you're at those trade shows... When you're at those conventions, don't just stay in your booth. Go around the aisleways and go around and look at other people's booths and see what they did. How'd they do that? They had a great booth and people were all gathered around that booth. (laughs) How do you learn from them (laughs) and adopt, I guess, their best ideas without, you know, I guess, getting accused of copying? Yeah. First of all, it's a broad spectrum because let's say... Somebody has a lot of the booths will have a little area where they've got a stretch of AstroTurf. 
and you have to hit the golf ball into the hole like it's a golf green. So they're doing an activity and they want you to, you know, if you get a hole in one, they give you something, they give you a prize. So you're doing a little putting. So it's an activity. You don't go back to your boss and say, hey, Joe is doing a putting green. We need to do a putting green. No. You say, we need to do something that involves the potential clients. We need to have them do an activity that's fun, that they think they have the skill to do, that they can try out, and that we can engage them and bring them into the booth. So that might be shooting a basket. It might be a hopscotch. It might be doing a finger puzzle. I don't know. But it's something that involves the potential client, not just, oh, we need to have a putting green on our booth because that's what they had, and they had a big crowd around them. No, what can we do that's different, but that will gather a crowd? So, and if you do, you decide to do a putting green, so what? You can't copyright that. That is true. You can't, so you say, well, we're going to do a putting green. Okay, have a pie-eating contest. Have a apple bobbing, I don't know, something. So change things up. Have a massage therapist at your booth. That's one of the things we used to do in our trade show booth. We'd hire out these massage therapists, and they do chair massages, and they just do their shoulders. Oh, boy, we had a long line for that. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we used to have those as well, and there was that long queue. I definitely do prefer the idea of adapting the idea rather than wholesale borrowing. You are right. I mean, nobody's got a copyright on a golf putt, (laughs) but at the same time, that might not create the best relationships um, with that other party as well. So it's a very interesting territory. And I think one that does need to be tread on quite likely. So we've discussed working with competitors, as well as learning from your competitors. What an interesting space, but definitely holds a lot of potential when you do it well. Mark, it's been a real pleasure to spend time with you and learn from you and get your insights. Thanks, Adelaide. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate spending time with you. I'm ready for more questions. I'm ready if you want to go to a competitor, how do you approach them? If you've got a specific thing going on, I'm ready to help if you've got some conflict resolution in your company or organization, or you just want to understand how do I approach somebody. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what's going on and we'll stay in touch. Fantastic. And Mark, how can people connect with you if they wanted to reach out? Well, probably the best way is to go to one of my websites. The one that's working now is storytellermark.com. So if they go to storytellermark.com, they'll see a lot of information about telling stories, about my book. My email is on there, mark at storytellermark.com. That's how to contact me. A lot of resources for storytelling and how to move ahead. And I can be contacted anytime. I am in Phoenix. It was great talking with you and spending time with you. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Well, we appreciate the time you've given us. Thank you so much, Mark. All right, Adeline. Great to see you again. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the conversation, it would mean a lot if you'd spare a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And let me know if you have any questions so I can look for the right guests to address them next time. Join me again next week and we'll uncover more stories and strategies for a successful future.